0: Hi, this is Dave Vanderveen, and you are listening to the Kick Aspirational Podcast. This is uh, Season 1, Episode 16, and uh, I'm going to title this one, Do the Work. Um, you know, uh, the Kick Aspirational podcast is, is all about breaking through barriers in our lives, choosing ourselves and creating the life, the world we want to live in, rather than only accepting options someone else is offering us. It's about creating our own opportunities. This all started because I've had thousands of people literally ask me over the years uh, how I did it, how my partners and I created a global brand with business owners around the world. Um, and I assume that when someone asks me that, what they're really asking is how could I do that for myself? How can I create the life that I want? So what I'm trying to both showcase, you know, how I did it, um, and how my partners still do it and how others are working on this in their own lives is what this, this podcast is, is about. And hopefully, you know, this is interactive. I want, I'm, I'm hopeful that people will, will, uh, Try to change their lives and do more and and become more in their own life and live more deliberately as well. So this, um, this episode was inspired by a really lovely uh, direct message I got on Instagram. My personal account, by the way, is David 58 <laughs> on Instagram, D-A-V-E-E-D 58 um, and this was from Teresa in the Czech Republic. Uh, I've been getting a lot of really wonderful comments from listeners, so thank you for that. Uh, but this was a highlight one that stood out, and uh, you know, I like to try and pull the message that I'm going to be delivering from actual questions from people each week. So uh, I'll have other questions and, and different types that pop up from time to time, but this one was kind of inspiring, and I thought it fit with where I wanted to go with the narrative. So um, this is from Teresa. Here's what Teresa said. She said, Hello, David. My name is Teresa. Hi Teresa, <laughs> I'm from Czech Republic and I'm an ABO. I fell in love with your podcast. Uh, A- ABO, by the way, is uh, Amway business owner, so that's an independent business owner that works with us with Excess via Amway. Um, I fell in love with your podcast and with the way you think, interpret all you've learned, and send it forward. I've just finished listening to the eleventh episode and still cannot believe how you managed to talk. Uh, how you managed to talk in one thirty-eight. In one 38-minute podcast about religion, politics, freedom, privilege, and much more, and make such an impact on my mind as a listener. I would love to hear more stories about how your business partners throughout the world shaped your mindset towards religion, freedom, and privilege, and how it impacted you because I believe that anyone can learn so much through experience. And she said, sorry if you've already been talking about this in one of the next four episodes. <laughs> we did cover some of it, I think, uh, well, some of the stuff that we'll, we'll get to later, but, um, but, I, but I will get into some of this today. She said, I would love to hear more about how different the mindset of the people of Asia is, because I think most Europeans think of Asians as almost an alien species, um, because there's not so much in common with them, and that makes me sad. She said, P.S. In one of the previous episodes, you've talked about a short story of a girl talking to her newborn sibling, asking the newborn about God. My immediate reaction was to cry. I was so struck in such a wonderful way. Thank you for that. Okay. So thank you so much for that lovely note, Teresa. Um, In the last episode, I did talk about Nakajima-san quite a bit. um, One of our uh, more successful uh, business partners in Japan, Uh, an incredible man, really good friend of mine. And um, someone that I almost count like a family member. Uh, so I, I think we bridge some of that gap. You can go back to episode 15. Uh, it was about my trip around the world and some time that I spent with some of the different leaders, particularly Nakajima San in Japan. Um, so I think that'll, that'll bridge some of that gap, uh, particularly between people of European ancestry and those of Asian ancestry. And you know, look, at the end of the day, we're all made out of people. It could be a diff- we could have differences in color and shape, language, culture, you know what have you. But this is why travel and not just tourism, um, living and working with people from other cultures and attempting to learn their language, eat their food, you know, spend real time with them doing real things, um, getting out there. That's why it's so important. Uh, So my strong recommendation, first of all, by the way, is try it. (laughs) Get out there. Surprise yourself with how human people who seem foreign to you can be. But in this episode, I'm going to jump back into my own story a bit, I think, uh, to answer some of these questions, how we met some of these people, how it shaped some of our thought. In episode eight, I had talked about meeting Scott Kuhn. Um, I was kind of going through my own personal journey and how I met Scott Kuhn on a flight back in 19, I think 1994, and um, and that I had to leave any privilege I had, you know, that I had inherited anyways, um, at the door if I was going to start uh, an Amway business. And again, this podcast isn't just about, and I'm using this because it's a part of my life. Um, it's about starting a business of your own. You know, think about it that way. But in in our case, we didn't have a lot of money. Uh, we were just getting started in life. We had a new baby on the way. And uh, we were looking for, for other options. And so it made sense for us at that time. And I wouldn't have changed the thing. It was such a great experience for us. Um, it led to a lot of other things that we did. and um, And it gave me a lot of Courage and, and talent to apply to other sales and, and marketing things that I was doing in life outside of Amway. So it was, it was a great experience for us. But I want to talk about this a little bit because we had to focus on one thing. We had to focus on doing the work. Um, and so I think talking about how we did the work will address some of Teresa's questions, basically, basically how that level of effort shaped my worldview, where it led me, um, through a lot of failure, by the way, and it's you know it's always easier to talk about failure after the fact. It sucks when you're in the middle of it, um, but but that is what led me to early successes, which allowed me to build on successes, which allowed me to get to places in life where you have a lot more control of of your time and your money and, and what you're what you're doing every day. Um, by the way, I'm in New Orleans today with my wife. We're uh, staying at the Eliza Jane, and uh, we're here for a film festival, the New Orleans Film Festival. Where uh, a film that I'm an executive producer on, "Same God," will be screening um, in the future episode. I'll do an interview with uh, the filmmaker and uh, some of the stars of that. It's a really great documentary, and I think it's going to be a powerful interview. But that's where I am today. But I think when when you go through those failures, you get to some of these successes. Um, you know, one one of the quotes I I, I love is from fred rogers mr rogers if you're not from america had a really um popular television show for about 30 years on public television called mr rogers neighborhood um he's an amazing man there's um there's a new documentary out, out on him called won't you be my neighbor that is fantastic you've got to download it go find it on netflix or itunes and watch it it's unbelievable Um, I've been reading some, I I got so turned on by two different documentaries about him that I actually bought a book about him. I've just been reading up because his life, the way he thinks, the way he treats people, the way he treats other humans is how I want to, how I want to become better. I mean, it's, uh, I want to be more like him is what I'm trying to say. What, What he says is people are meant for service. And he talks a lot about the fact that um, we're not just meant for service, but it's those selfless acts of service for other people is where we're truly at our highest and our best. Um, But I'd also add to that that people need to work. It's not just acts of service, but I think people, in order to feel a sense of purpose and meaning in life, we are meant to work, we are built to work, we have to work. And part of our work, as if you listen to my podcast with Miguel Aguado Jr., um, a, a business partner we have in Spain, he pointed out, Part of that work does need to be selfless acts of service where we get no apparent benefit. It's incredibly healthy for us to serve others, to stop thinking about our own damn problems, maybe find some people who have bigger issues than we do, learn to be grateful and help them, work with them. Maybe learn that when we work selflessly, sometimes we get a bigger benefit than they do. And you're not doing it for that benefit, but it's through that selfless work that you actually... I think you actually move beyond yourself and you realize there's something bigger than you and you actually get to, to help somebody else build their life. And that is one of the most incredible feelings on earth when you can help people set themselves free, you. You can help people find their own meaning and purpose and, and break through their own barriers. And that's why I'm doing this podcast. But I'd add that if you have an interest in getting control of your life, if you want to pursue a life that has meaning, where you find that hedgehog concept, the place where your passion, your, your unique skill... Um, so three things, your passion, your unique skill. It's okay if you don't know what that unique skill is yet, by the way. Um, you usually have to put in 10,000 plus hours to really discover and develop that. <laughs> but that's where if you have a passion and you start working really hard at a thing, you're going to develop that, that unique skill and your ability to earn a livelihood. So those three things where you have a passion, a unique skill set, and an ability to earn money, where, where those all come together, that sweet spot is found by doing a lot of consistent, hard, and hopefully meaningful work. And by the way, the work may become meaningful later. When you're in the middle of it and it's nasty, it might not feel that great. You might not feel it when you're getting started. And, and I think you know, part of reflection, part of thinking about what you've been doing each day, you know, being deliberate in the morning and then reflecting on what you did at night, is that allows you sometimes to put meaning into acts that don't seem very meaningful at the time. So it's probably good to consider that if you want to get financial control of your life, financial freedom, you need equity. You need to start saving some money like, like right now. Um, last night we were getting a beverage, a festive beverage at the bar and the bartender, we were talking about some um, some different equities we have and, and how well they're doing right now despite a down market. Uh, my wife is a very good trader. Uh, we have a very good friend, Glenn Rogers, who helped her helped her uh, learn to do that, but um we were talking about some of, the, some of the stocks and things that are up and, and how it's been going and some of the stuff we'd sold off. Um, and anyways, this bartender said, boy, I wish I, wish, I, wish I had some money you know, to, to put into the market. And, and I said to him, I said, well, first you need to save. And I said, you can start doing that right now. And I gave him an extra tip. And I said, look, this, isn't, this is extra. Um, you don't have to go spend this. You can put this in a savings account. You can put this in a separate bank account where you save money that you use to invest. And you don't have to wait for anybody else to give you that. And I'm going to say this to anybody listening. You all have permission to start saving money. It's okay if you have debt. It's okay if you have other problems. It's okay. It doesn't matter why. Just start saving money start cutting expenses out of your life and start putting money into savings on a regular daily basis. And don't worry about investing it. Don't worry about getting fancy with it. Just put it in something that gives you some low interest yields, like a savings account or a CD or just something basic, but start saving money. Saving money means actually putting money into a bank account that you don't touch and that you put into some interest bearing account. Um, so first you need, you need to, you need to save money. Um, and then, and then you need to become an investor. You need to own a piece of something. You need to have things that have the potential to grow and spin off cash in ways that don't require your time and attention to earn it. This includes but shouldn't be limited to your home. Um, in fact, I'd add that depending on where you live and the housing market, for a lot of people, like on the coast or in big cities... Renting makes a lot more sense financially than buying, especially if you're trying to build savings and build a business or, or have investments that spin off cash. You know your primary principal place of living typically isn't going to spin off uh, cash, so you don't want to overinvest in that. If you're trying to understand financial freedom on a basic level, um, pick up a copy of Rich Dad Poor Dad. Uh, it's a great book uh, by uh, Kiyosaki. Uh, It's just a great primer. He talks about how people earn money, about the difference between assets and liabilities, especially in terms of appreciation and cash flow, uh, in ways that can help people understand how to get ahead better. Uh, You know, when you talk to your accountant, they may say, well, your car is an asset and your house is an asset, and that's true, Um, but when you're talking about cash flow and you're talking about getting free from the constraints of having to, you know, trade your time for money... It's it's an asset becomes something that's more about spinning off you know free cash flow than it is about um, you know value on a balance sheet. So an example in my own life when Sarah and I were getting started and didn't have much money, we tried to be careful with what we made. Um, and what we had, I, I started a business that had clients, the lab where we worked, and two political clients. Uh, my father told me that when I that I needed to own a business when I was 22 because I wasn't a deduction on his taxes anymore. When you own a business versus being an employee, you can you can you know versus being an employee, you can deduct legitimate business expenses and fit, fill out what's called a, a section C or schedule C on your tax form that allows for some housing, auto, and other expenses you use for work that you wouldn't normally be able to deduct. Um, I'd strongly suggest using a uh, you know, certified CPA to do this. Don't, don't just you know, run out and start filling out taxes based on my advice here. But, but you need, I, I used to fill out my own taxes, but it's good to use a CPA. It's good to get some tax advice, but start doing that. Start your own business, start something. And start, you know, taking advantage of uh, legitimate advantage of the tax code because you're working for yourself. When we got married, we lived in the Napa Valley, which is, you know, it's the north end of the San Francisco Bay Area and one of the most expensive places to live in America. We couldn't afford a house, and it wouldn't have made a lot of sense if we could have. Um, yes, prices in the in the, the Napa Valley have gone up a lot since 1992, and a lot of people look at that and say, "Wow, I wish I had bought something then." But there's also been a lot of big corrections. Um, I was talking to a big home builder in Southern California, uh, Peter Ox. We were on a boat one time, and he said, you know, uh, most people who bought houses before the mid-1990s didn't get back to even because the housing you know, market corrected so hard, came down until the mid 2000s. And if you bought one at the height of 2007, if you bought a house at the height of 2007, you might just be getting back to even again today. So I just be really careful, particularly if you're in a place where houses are very expensive, like in, you know, in the coastal communities or a big city, and you're trying to build a business or you're trying to save money, you know, being house poor might not help you that much. You might be a lot better off um, saving money and putting it into, you know, a balanced, uh, Financial fund or an index fund that's gonna that's gonna you know get strong single or maybe low double digit uh, returns over a long period of time than you would putting it into a house which at best probably gets six percent interest a year you know generates about six percent growth a year in Laguna Beach where we live now the average appreciation on a home is six percent a year that's the number that I'll use and our median home price I think you can check me on this but I think it was last time I checked was about a million and a half dollars. So if you just think about this, with a 20% down payment, you'd be at $300,000 for a medium home that you'd have to put down. And then you'd still have a mortgage on that remaining $800,000. So you're way better off with it. And you, you can rent cheaper than your mortgage would be in Laguna. So um, you're, you're way better off putting that money into a CD or some kind of an index fund or better a, a managed financial fund. Um, that would be a substantial investment for, for most people. Uh, and then just, you know, Use, use your business deductions to help uh, offset some of your rental uh, uh, costs that you'll have. Typically, it's a better way to think about it. I'm not trying to give people specific advice here, but I am encouraging you to save some money and figure that out. And don't get buried in a house you can't afford. Focus on saving money and building a business because that's going to give you free cash flow. Um, by the way, we we did just start buying houses in Detroit, <laughs> but their investments with long-term renters where housing prices had fallen you know tremendously when, when when Detroit fell apart. We do it with a company called our nonprofit called Life Builders, by the way. Great group. Um, and that's where people pay reasonable rents over the long term. And we get uh, great great cash on cash value and, and we get some nice return on investment in the and the capital appreciation in the housing market in Detroit. Um, But when Sarah and I decided, you know, when we were starting out, that we were better served putting as much of our pre-tax income as we could into 401ks and other pre-tax savings programs that offered well-managed risk and solid rates of return over time, we also decided to invest our time that we weren't working as employees or for our clients to build our Amway business, because that offered equity in a business that could generate income later with time we invested then. So basically, if we help sponsor somebody in 1994 and help them become successful and stay involved, we we keep earning income on that business today, um, and you know, on into the future. Obviously, we have to help that business become successful, and they have to stick around because, you know, it makes sense and they're earning money. But that's how it becomes almost like an annuity. I mean, it's not. It, you, it takes work, and you have to keep putting money in. But it's, it's, it's an asset that spins off free cash flow. That's, that's kind of a cool thing that way. Um, so here's what we did, though. Um, we needed to learn to do the work, and a lot of it, to find the right people who were interested in owning something but maybe needed to invest sweat equity like us. And we would, of course, need to help them. The first phase was really tough. I think most people who sign up for a direct selling business are well-intentioned, really have no idea the amount of work, frustration, and failure they'll have to get through, through to generate success. I think uh, people are poorly served, by the way, when they don't know that. I think people who want to work hard, like me, who wanted to own a business, aren't afraid of the hard work. We're not afraid of the failure um, you know, or the frustration. It's just knowing what, what we're going to have to get through to get to success that helps a lot. Uh, Because then when you're in the middle of it, you're not like, oh, this isn't working. You're like, oh, this is the stuff they told me I was going to have to go through. Man, if I just get through this, it's all going to be better on the other side. (laughs) Um, And I I also think a lot of people don't have the right upline coach and the training process that helps them understand what they need to do and become good good enough at it to succeed. A lot of us have work to do. A lot of us have to do. Not only a lot of work, but but have somebody help us improve so that we we can get to the place where it works really well for us. To me, it's like buying, you know, buying into an, an an average gym membership. Someone convinces you to join, right? They have somebody selling gym memberships. The gym's a nice facility. You see fit people running around doing things and it's only twenty bucks a month or something affordable. And and let's be honest, the equipment in the gym works fine. The workout classes are effective. Push ups, sit-ups, maybe some weights and cardio are great tools for getting into shape. But here's the big secret. People don't do the work <laughs> because we're made out of people. <laughs> and new habits are really hard to create in our lives. And, and, and I know all the excuses, right? I, you probably had the same ones I do. I'm busy. I was already working, you know, 10, 12 hours a day probably. But here's the deal. You've got 24 hours in a day. If you're young, you don't need to sleep eight hours when you're getting started. You can put a lot of extra time and effort into those other six hours. And six hours is a lot of time to build something else. But you've got to take advantage of it. You've got to leverage that free time, and you've got to put the, put the work in. I, I used to have people tell me all the time, uh, but I'm busy. And I'm like, Are you kidding me? Of course you're busy. I'm busy too. If someone wasn't busy, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let them join my gym, or I wouldn't want them in my business. Um, but you know, who wants a commitment from someone who doesn't have things to do all day? Using busy as an excuse not to be in shape physically, mentally, spiritually, or financially you ought to scream undisciplined. It's basically saying that you can't prioritize and manage yourself, at which point you really need a mentor, coach, trainer to help you get your shit in order. And so I think the point is, yeah, we well, are busy, we're all busy. And, if, and if, if you have areas of your life that are just completely out of order, it's okay, we all do. Get some help. That's why there are mentors, coaches, and trainers out there. They want to help you. Find a good one, get some references, and get moving. The simple fact is that people don't like to do the work. And an excuse to not do the work is easier than doing it. So let's agree to get over that. Let's change that. And if you're listening to this podcast because you want to break through barriers in your life and transform it, let's do it. Um, I'm not arguing that you need to join a direct selling company or a gym or sell your home or join Amway. Okay, I'm not saying any of those things. You need to figure out what's right for you. You need to do your own self-assessment. You know, who are you? What do you want to become? Get out a pen and a piece of paper. I'm not kidding about this. Literally get a pen and a piece of paper. And write down what is it you want. In an earlier episode, I talked about Jim Collins and this this uh, mechanism he has. He says if you had two hundred million dollars, but you only had five years left to live, um, it was in an Inc. magazine. You can look it up. Look up Inc. magazine. Jim Collins, two hundred million dollars and five years to live. Jim talks about this whole idea of. Um, how would your life be different tomorrow than it is today if you had that? And it's not about the money. I mean, the money just means you can buy whatever you want. But when you only have five years left to live, it tends to focus your attention on the really important things. Typically, you know, more about the people and the actions that matter, you know. And so when you, when you make that, and I'm, I'm telling you, get a piece of paper and write it down. Make the list. Be deliberate. Writing it on a piece of paper makes a humongous difference in whether or not any of those things will ever become realities. It's not about a Ferrari. I mean, if you really want a Ferrari, great, write it down. It's about how are you going to get your life to be to a place where where you wake up at one point and you wouldn't change a thing. Um, And and I think when you have that list and you have a mentor and you start prioritizing, when you're making those daily, weekly, and even bigger decisions, you'll hopefully look at that list and you'll, you'll say, wait a minute, does the decision I'm about to make help move me in the direction I want to go in, towards that list I want to have, or does it move me away from it? Having mechanisms that help us move in the direction we want to go is what living deliberately is all about. It starts by knowing what you want, and then it continues by remembering that having it in front of you and reminding yourself every time you're making a little decision, is this getting me close to what I want or further away? I used to hate, as an example, contacting people to talk about an Amway product or the Amway opportunity, you know, the opportunity for a new person to start a business of their own. And Scott Kuhn, who sponsored me, lived in Seattle. We lived in the Napa Valley. It was a two-hour plane flight. And he hadn't really trained me at first um, how to contact, show plans, do the work, because we hadn't had time to get together. And I didn't want to, but see, I was, I was anxious. I didn't want to wait around. I wanted to get started. So I decided to grab the resumes out of the HR drawer at the laboratory where I was working and call them. <laughs> By the way, I, this is a terrible idea. I don't recommend this. Do not use somebody's resume from work and call them to talk to them about a, a business opportunity. Meet people and, and create a relationship. And find out if they're actually looking for a business opportunity, and then talk to them about it. At that point, <laughs> there's different ways you can do it. Virtually, you can do it in person, but you know, don't don't pull resumes out of the HR drawer. I probably could have gotten fired for that. Um, one poor guy that who probably thought he was meeting me for a job interview was named Norman. I'll call him Norm. Um, for short. Norm drove to meet me at a restaurant. We sat down over a cup of coffee, and I thought everyone would be as excited about starting an Amway business as I was. So after a little small talk, I started explaining to Norm how an Amway business worked, but hadn't used the word Amway yet. I just started mapping out how the business made money, um, You know, basically how you made some money doing retail, how you earned small percentages from other businesses that you helped become profitable. We, we call it drawing circles and sticks. And Norm asked me, he goes, is this Amway? And I said, Yeah, yeah, yes. And Norm literally yelled something and ran out. It was the worst <laughs> business plan I have ever shown, um, which was because it was set up poorly. It wasn't set up with somebody who was looking for a business. Uh, you know, it was a guy who was a chemist, and this poor guy wasted his time. I upset him. I apologize, Norm, if you're ever listening to this. Was not my goal. Um, and this continues to be the worst business plan experience of my life. Fortunately, it was my first one. Um, but later, when I was dreading calling prospects, people I had met, I developed a simple technique to get over the fear of negative reactions to my calls. I would call Norm first. Um, again, not, not the kindest thing to do, but it was how I was getting over my own fear. So this was before caller ID. Um, but when someone would call your home, you know, this is, so, you know, this was before caller ID was embedded in everybody's cell phone. If you're under 30, you probably don't remember this. But when somebody would call your home, you'd just pick up the landline, um, it was just called a phone back then, and find out who was calling. <laughs> That's how the phones worked. So I'd call Norm, and it would usually go something like this. Norm would say, hello. And I'd say, hey, Norm, it's Dave. Are you thinking anymore more about joining Amway with me? And, and the response I got was normally some loud and angry comment followed by the phone being hung up. And I knew that that call would be the worst call of the day, that every call afterwards was up and to the right, that you know, I had just had the worst experience, so better experiences were coming. I had to play little games with myself in order, and unfortunately with Norm, in order, in order to get myself to do the work. The other thing you learn is that you want to attract and sponsor people who are at least as good or better than you, preferably the latter. The problem is that most of us are scared and have self-images that need some development to find great people and attract them to us. This is a huge part of why interior work is so critical. Of course, it makes us better and more self-adjusted, you know, more well-adjusted people but it also allows us to attract better people to our projects. Some of the people we attracted to our early Amway business were probably not ready to succeed at anything in life. And the level of effort to get them where they needed to be to find success was more time and effort than I had to give. Scott said said to me one time after a plan with a few folks who weren't of the highest caliber, he said, you can't make chicken salad out of chicken shit. And he wasn't saying that the people didn't have inherent value as humans, but he was saying to me that I needed to step up the level of people that I was bringing to the table. Um, And he said it in a way that it was very memorable and very funny um, because, like, he was spending money flying down to help me, and I wasn't putting in the right level of work. And so he was trying to help me get my level of play up a little bit. You'll see the same thing in a lot of big companies. It's very common as people get promoted to hire puppets, you know, yes men and women and people who don't challenge them. As I'd like to say, you can see the strings when they move and the hand up their ass when they talk. <laughs> You'll never develop an organization anywhere with people who don't have the freedom to confront the leader and the team, you know, of course appropriately, and who aren't capable of playing above or rising above the level of the leader. A great leader will hire better people than them. A great leader will help elevate the level of play so that the whole team is preferably playing at or above their own level so that you actually have a team that that is growing and progressing and accelerating. To do the work, I had to plan the work. I had to build a pipeline and I had to create the work to do. This was the best part of committing time to a business like Amway. You can do similar work in other direct selling businesses. My younger son has friends doing this in San Francisco with an insurance company right now. The work of cold contacting and calling to create enough meetings so that you can show enough plans that you can convert enough of those plans to sales and or signups is like going to the gym, but for sales, it's one hell of a workout and you have to do it a lot and consistently to get any meaningful results. When I was getting started, I'd have to contact about 10 people per week to get about three meetings per week to convert about two people per month. Later, as I got more comfortable with myself and others and better at identifying good candidates, my odds improved. But then I wasn't just showing my own plans. I had to learn to help other people's too. So so the time commitment actually increased. It's funny. The first place we lose a lot of people in our business is just like a gym. They sign up and then never show up again. Think about the number of of out-of-shape people with a gym membership. It's not because the gym doesn't work. People struggle with habits. But if you sign up with a trainer, do an assessment, commit to showing up multiple times per week, and then do it, the results are nearly inevitable. In the health club and gym business, attrition is at least 50% for membership. Unless, so people, half the people that sign up quit. Unless a person signs up, does an assessment, creates a plan with a trainer, and signs up with a trainer. You know, in the early 2000s, I was a chief technology officer at a health and fitness startup in Seattle. Um, and we, could, we had a model that could generate of, an, of a functioning gym that could generate six times the revenue per square foot by only signing up people who did assessments with the trainer and integrated physical therapy and chiropractic services. So we'd basically do an assessment. We'd figure out what they wanted to get out of the membership. We wouldn't let them sign up unless they signed up with the trainer and committed to multiple times per week. And then we had chiropractic and PT, you know, physical therapy services, so that when they got sore or injured, it didn't feel right, we could, we could help their bodies heal so they could keep coming back. Um, uh, at, at one point, not long after we, um, you know what, I should say this too, um, you know, Just to follow up on that thought, when you focus on the total solution for a client rather than just trying to sell them a product or signing them up, so when you're looking at that, how do we really help this person get, get return on what they're investing in, your performance and results will also transform because now you're invested in their life, you're invested in their results, you're invested in helping them find success, not just selling them a product or signing them up in something and walking away. The, the other place I should add that we've lost a lot of people in our business is when they go from doing the work themselves, like at the beginning, assuming they get that far, to when they have to become a coach and mentor as well. It's usually about midway through our performance bonus structure because they've already started doing the work. They've they've run some volume, and now they're starting to help some other people get started, and they have to help those people too. Um, it's, it's, you know... It's what we call. Uh, it's just. It's. It's a hard place because a lot of people get stuck there. They're like, "Hey, I'm. I'm at this point. I'm. I'm making some money. I've got some people going, but I keep losing these people because I'm not. Not adding enough value to them for them to stick around." Um, at one point, not all, not long after we had launched Excess, so my wife and I, Sarah, went platinum in the Amway business, and then we launched Excess after that. So it was not long after we had launched Excess. Um, and we were, you know, still very actively building our our, our Amway businesses as as independent business owners. Um, you know, there was a young couple in our business who were working really hard, but we're kind of stuck midway through the performance bonus schedule at Amway, so at about a fifteen percent level in the bonus plan. It's not a bad place to be at. You're making good money. You're making, well, let's say it's it's at least you know hundreds of dollars a month extra than what you'd normally make, which is, you know, for a lot of young people, pretty substantial amount of money. But you feel like you're so close to getting to that platinum level and making, you know, thousands of dollars a month. But for some reason, it's just out of reach. You know, you're just stuck. You can't move on. Um, in, f- in fact, it's kind of funny. It's, it sounds a little crazy, but people get into a direct selling business like Amway typically to make extra money. Then once they're in and working hard and attending training and recognition meetings, you'll start to hear, sometimes you'll hear or see people who do really dumb things like buying extra volume to qualify, which costs them money. So they're literally spending money in order to get recognition. They get in to make money, but then you'll see them lose money to be recognized. I never wanted that in my own business. It's unsustainable behavior that usually ends up in a business that crashes. And so we we never push that. But with this couple who was working so hard, I was like, how do I help them? Anyway, this young guy... He wasn 't a hard afraid work you know he wasn't afraid of hard work. he got together with me his name was Eric, great guy anyways, I wish i'd had like a dozen of guys like him in my business. He worked harder than I did, frankly. We met up and he was really frustrated. He knew he was outworking me in the business and he wanted to pass me, which by the way is great. Um, I wanted him to pass me too in the end my anyway business. Uh, it doesn't hurt to have a downline, make more money than you, have a bigger business than you. As long as you're doing other things outside that, you'll actually earn a, a, a small percentage on that business. So it's a good thing. Um, and so I wanted him to pass me, too. I wanted him to be bigger than me in the business. Um, he was smart, though, and he sat down and he asked me for help. He said, why wasn't he growing when he was working so hard? He took our, you know, He took full advantage of our relationship and, and the coaching, which is what we encourage people to do. So I suggest that he stop trying to sell and start focusing instead on creating relationships. You know, how do you add value to somebody? Find out why people wanted to get ahead. What were their dreams? You know know what yours are. What what are theirs? What did they want that they couldn't get from their current job or profession? I said it really simply to him. I said, you know, we just launched Excess. I said, Eric, try this for the next 30 days. When you find someone you want to talk to who might be a good candidate for for our business, you know, offer them a cold drink. Preferably find a hot sweaty person and offer them a cold drink. But try offering them an excess first. If they like the drink and ask you about it, if you earn those questions like how much does it cost, where do I get it, then you'll have earned the right to talk about your business and about how they might fit into it. Then, after showing a plan, showing them how they can get the things they've already told you they want, you can follow up with other products from our business. Here's the the silver lining in that story, six months later, Eric and his wife, Sherry, passed Sarah and me in our business, and it was the best day ever. Uh, they went, what we call the, they got to the ruby level. We use these <laughs> platinum ruby, but it, you know, he got to the ruby level in our business, which is fantastic. They're making great money. They had a very successful business. We we're very, very happy for them. He's a great entrepreneur. He and Sherry are great people. The important lessons I gained from building an Amway business with my upline and downline partners was that everyone matters even if they aren't going to build a business with you. That you want to focus on business partnerships who are at your level or above or can get there. And that healthy business is never about selling in the crass sense. It's not about what you can get from someone else. It's about how to simply and quickly add value to someone else's life before you ask for anything in return. Like offer them a cold, delicious energy drink. You know, It's not a bad tool. (laughs) Discover what they want. Do the assessment with them. Earn the questions so you can answer them. And maybe they'll discover how they can make their dreams real working with you. Um, And by the way, sometimes they won't. Sometimes they won't want to work with you. And that's okay, too. It's not our job to sell them or convince them. It's our job to help them discover. And those that discovery comes through earning questions, from getting the other person to ask questions of you. That's the difference between selling someone, which absolutely sucks, and helping people buy, which can be a ton of fun. Invite some fellow pilgrims on your journey. After you've earned the questions, we're all on a journey together. We're all going down the road. That's the big secret. We're just you know, for smart, you're trying to help other people along, not block their paths. So invite some fellow pilgrims on your journey after you've earned the questions. Invite them via an experience where you help them discover what you do and where you're headed and how it might align with the dreams that they've shared with you first. This is an interactive project. Please send me your questions. You can email me, um, you know... Or you can, DMs are probably best on Instagram, at David58 is my uh, personal uh, Instagram, D-A-V-E-E-D-5-8. Or you can hit me up too at the Kick Aspirational uh, Instagram page. That's another good one. Um, but I'd love to hear from you. Please stay in touch and please be Kick Aspirational.